Welcome, welcome. We are Marty and Stacy Wadlow, and we are so glad that you are here. I know as the weather is starting to get a little bit cooler, starting to feel a little bit more like fall in the air, um, it's kind of a fun time, but sometimes it can kind of be a heavy time as the weather changes. So just prayer that you're feeling welcome here, and we are just so glad that you are here. Um, we are coming to the end of October, which is Pastor Appreciation Month. So if you haven't gotten a card out or a letter out, just to let um, our amazing pastors know how much you appreciate them, um, you have a couple weeks left. So um, if you are new, welcome, welcome. And we have um, a little gift for you at the connection counter. So there's two in the lobby, one out on the patio and will actually be on the patio, so you can come say hi to us. And we are just so glad that you are here just to worship and Absolutely. just to hang out with us today. Well, as we begin worship this morning, we will recite the Lord's Prayer together, if you would please stand, and we'll start the service with that. It should be coming on your screen. There we go. So just say it with me, please. Our Father, Father in heaven. In heaven. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us of our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. All right, please stay standing as we lead into further worship. Bye. 
I've never known another like you No other God can do the things you do Through every single valley, mountain, drought or fountain You pull me through I've never known another like you No other God can do the things you do Through every single valley, mountain, drought or fountain You pull me through You sit me down and wash my feet You're the God who loves to comfort me The hands that hold the stars in place Pull me in 
I'll serve anywhere. Just let me see what you need. Put me anywhere. Put your glory in me. I'll serve anywhere. Just let me see.
Take a little minute here to just acknowledge your presence with us. We acknowledge your presence with us, Lord. We turn our ears to you. We turn our eyes to you. Most importantly, we turn our hearts to you. Father, we confess that this week we have made much of small things. We have looked to other things to satisfy, but nothing can satisfy like full communion with you. So we take a minute to acknowledge your presence again. Father, it is our desire for you to have first place. It is our desire to put you first, above all things, above all other gods that cannot satisfy it above all other idols that we have made. Take your rightful place in our heart this morning. We're here for you. All is for your glory. Would you put your glory in us that we might shine to others too. We love you. We love you, Father. We love you, Son. We love you, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. You can have a quick seat. I'd like to continue in that way that we have been honoring God by inviting our ushers forward to receive our offering today. Um, you know, we have talked about this a couple times, but New Life is in the, uh, the process of transitioning our online giving to a new platform. So if you have already switched over, great job. I think we're about 65% of the way done of switching a bunch of our reoccurring givers. So if you haven't done that yet, this is your week. Um, in fact, maybe if you do that this week, you might get a little gift or a little something in the mail to say thank you because it is our goal to have everything switched over so that we can be financially responsible as a church. Um, 
And so we're hoping to get everything switched over by the middle of November. So if you haven't done that yet, it's super easy. Um, and you can also, if you have never given online, it, now is a great time to start doing that because it is really easy. There's like that little QR code. You can just do that right now, zoom in, set it all up. It's pretty easy. And it is um, honestly just such a blessing um, as a church to be able to plan and be good stewards of our money. And online giving really does help new life um, behind the scenes to make sure that we are um, doing with God's money what God wants to do with his money. So um, thank you to those of you who are generous. We are truly a very generous church, and God is, is blessing our community through all of your generosity. And speaking of a way to be generous, now is your week, guys. It's me, your friend Elena, again, talking about Fall Fest because it is coming up next Sunday. And I know all y'all, not all y'all, but some of y'all, like to wait to the last minute to sign up. So... Now's your time, okay, all you last minuters. We could really use some help um, with some more cakes, signing up to bring a cake. It does not need to be homemade. You can go to Vons and pick up. They have some really nice cakes at Vons. They do a great job decorating cakes at Vons. But you can just pick one up and bring it for our cakewalk because, you know, we got to keep them cakewalkers happy and satisfied. Um, there's another little QR code. You could just zoom in and just do that right now while I'm talking. I will not be offended if you do that. Um, also, we need some help with our second shift. So we have a couple shifts you can sign up if you want to come for the whole time and serve that you extra jewels for you. Um, but if you can only do one shift, we need some help more in the second shift. So keep that in mind this week as you sign up. If you need help, um, you can come out to Connections and we would love to just sign you up right there because it is going to be a party and it's going to be fun and God is going to move and there's going to be seeds planted and I think some lives are going to be changed just by our efforts in order to just um, make sure that people feel welcomed and make sure that people feel seen by God. Um, and so at New Life... We say this a lot, we truly wanna be a family, not just an event to attend, but a family to belong to. So if you got a bulletin when you came in, those bulletins are new every week, by the way. So that has all some great ways for you to just plug in. We don't want you to be a, a nameless face in the crowd. We want to get to know you. So there's a couple ways that you can do that coming up. We have our next women's gathering coming up on November 5th. So if you are a woman, uh, we would love to have you out. It's just a fun time that we gather around the table, have some good conversation, some fun food and get to know um, other people. So we would love to have you come out to that. Also, this Wednesday is the last Wednesday of the month. Can you believe it? Where did October go? Um, but this Wednesday is the last Wednesday of the month, which means we have last Wednesday class. And what last Wednesday is all about is it's a really easy way. You get to sit at a table with other people. You get to have some discussion. Um, it's informal. And we learn about something that is vital to our faith. And so this week, we're going to be talking about how to actually share your faith. When God leads you into spiritual conversations, whether that's with your family or the checkout clerk at CalFresh, you know, if God leads you into these spiritual conversations, how can we bless others through those conversations? How can we learn about our story and how to share that with others. So it's going to be great practical tools. Pastor Dan's going to teach it. So we would love to invite you to Wednesday. And also, I think we're eating enchiladas. So that is another great reason to come this Wednesday. But we are glad. Last week, we had Pastor Billy here, and it was so great to hear about all the ways that God has been moving in India. And this week, we are jumping back into origin. So take a breath, take a couple minutes, because I know that God has something he wants to say to you today. In the pages of the Old Testament, we encounter a gallery of characters 
whose stories continue to resonate with the people of God today. These ancient figures, though separated from us by centuries, offer timeless lessons and enduring inspiration. Characters like Abraham, Moses, King David, the brave and resourceful Esther, Ruth, and let's not forget the prophets Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. These people are integral to the story of God. These Old Testament characters are not mere historical relics. They are living examples of faith, resilience, and obedience. Their stories continue to matter for the people of God today, offering guidance, inspiration, and a reminder of the eternal truths that bind us to our spiritual heritage. As we navigate the challenges of our own lives, we can draw strength from their journeys, knowing that the God who guided them is the same God who walks with us on our own path of faith. This is our story. Well, if you're not familiar with the resource that we have been making these bumpers with, it's called The Bible Project. It's a great resource for you. We also have taken that, many of the, the things that are relevant to the specific messages that we have been preaching, and we've placed that on our website. So you can actually go on our website, click on the Origins uh, landing page, and there are specific uh, links there that make it really easy for you to continue to study God's Word and understand God's Word in richer and deeper ways uh, as you watch and, and learn about how how God's story was written. And as you learn about the literary genres that were utilized, um, as we've talked uh, over the last you know, many weeks, um, one of the things that's really important for us to understand is that the Bible is a library of books that is pointing people towards Jesus. It's telling one continuous story that is pointing people towards Jesus. And so that is why we are anchoring ourselves in this Old Testament series called Origins. And I want to um, invite you to stand for the reading of the word today. Again, one of the reasons we do this is to shift our posture um, so that, you know, it's easy to come in and sit back. And if, even if you're at home, if you're in your recliner, I invite you to get up out of your recliner and, uh, and uh, join us in standing and encourage you to uh, read along with me. That's the second thing is Exodus chapter three. So if you go to the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible, you have Genesis and then Exodus. So it's fairly easy to find. Second book in the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible. And we're gonna be in chapter three. So find the big number three and we're gonna read the first 15 verses. So stay with me as I read through this. Um, first 15 verses of Exodus chapter three. One day, Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. <clears throat> Through, um, though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't the bush burning up? I must go see it. 
When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. I am, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And when Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of, the, of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. The land where the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites now live. Look, you're pretty proud of me of that, right? Come on. All right, all right, good, all right. I practiced, I practiced. Verse nine, look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. But Moses protested to God. Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? Verse 12. God answered, I will be with you. And this is your sign that I am the one who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. But Moses protested. If I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? And God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we open up your word, God, I pray that you would speak. I pray that we would listen. I pray that we would be open to hearing your word to us today. I pray, God, that we would begin to just push aside the distractions, the things that maybe are trying to um, hijack our attention in this particular moment, and God, that we would tune our ears towards you. I pray, God, that whether literally we do this right now or just imagine it, that we would take off our shoes, for we are on sacred, holy ground. And we ask all these things in Jesus' mighty and powerful name and all God's people said, amen. amen. Have a seat and as you have a seat, go ahead and turn to somebody near you and say, God's name is Yahweh. It's a really important proclamation because I think one of the questions that we are confronted with confronted with, and one of the questions that our culture is confronted with on a regular basis, one of the questions that we are confronted with on a regular basis is simply this, who is God? Who is he? Who is this God that we talk about? 
It's so easy for us to, within, um, within our own particular culture, to have a convoluted understanding of who God is. I mean, many of us have grown up with different images of who God is. I mean, you can probably remember early on in your life, growing up, watching a cartoon, and God was represented as this old guy with the beard, um, somehow by the pearly gates, and with maybe smoke around him, and, uh, and it was like this grandpa-ish type figure, and for some of us, that image of God didn't stop at our kid understanding of God, but it's something that we've carried into our adulthood. And so you have this understanding of God that begins to solidify itself in your name, in your mind. And for some people, it's ambiguous. I mean, God is used for so many things. God is used uh, when, you know, you're frustrated. Uh, it's a word that, we, that some people say. And, and God is used in this ambiguous way where we kind of begin to equate this idea of God with the universe. That's a really common thing right now. You'll hear people say that the universe is telling me or the universe is saying this or the universe is saying that. And what they are doing is they are identifying something as a God. God's probably been, that idea of God, the word God has been probably shaped by your family of origin, your experience growing up, the things that people have said about God, not only what your parents said about God, but what your education said about God and what your friends and your sphere of influence said about God, what culture has said about God. And so this idea of God or who is God has been influenced by all of those things. Because one of the challenges that we have within our particular culture is we have one word, God, that all of a sudden begins to have millions of attachments to it. All kinds of people are saying they believe in God. But which God? Who is this God? And the answer, the answer to that question will set the trajectory for your life. The answer that you have to that question will begin to move your life in a particular direction. The answer to that question will begin to shape your, your family. The answer to that question will begin to shape your future. The answer to that question becomes so paramount and yet we don't often take the time to actually think about who is God. Let me give you an example. When I say that my name is David, in a lot of contexts, that means nothing. Like if you were having a conversation with somebody who absolutely doesn't know me and you said the name David, that would um, not mean a whole lot to the person that you're talking to. In fact, some, some people call me Dave. That's not even my name. But they call me Dave because they like to shorten it. And so... If you were talking to somebody and you said, Pastor Dave, you'd immediately confuse them, especially if they knew anybody else on our, on our staff, because they might think you're talking about Dave Vasquez, not David Hutsko. And so all of a sudden, you have to begin, when you're having conversations, begin to narrow down which David you are talking about. I mean, if you were talking to somebody and you were men mentioning this person who spoke at your church and you said, David, maybe they think it would David Hasselhoff. I don't know. Like, they could think, like... Knight Rider, right? Like, you know, it might be. 
Or they might think you're talking about David Beckham because he's really popular right now and he's got a whole Netflix you know, documentary about him. And so they could think any number of Davids when it comes to having this idea. In fact, I did a little bit of research just to let you know. And David, um, there are 2.6 million Davids in the United States. In fact, I like this one, it is the fifth most popular masculine name. I kind of like that, right? <laughs> And so here you have this idea of like, man, what, there is 2.6, over 2.6 million Davids in the United States. If you're having a conversation with somebody, you would have to kind of narrow that in. In fact, let's just take a poll here. This, there might not be any, but is there any other Davids that are here today? Raise your hand, anybody? Yeah, there we go. One, two. Yeah, I see a couple, three. Yeah. So even in this context, if we begin having a conversation about David, you would have to begin to narrow it down. What is one of the ways that we narrow that down? Last name. One of the easiest ways to begin to narrow that down is the last name. But as unique as the name Hutzko is, there actually is in the United States another David Hutzko. So even that doesn't begin to narrow it down too much. So what do you have to do? You have to begin to tell a story. You have to begin to narrow it down by reminding people of who this particular David is. This particular David grew up in the Midwest, but not just anywhere in the Midwest. He grew up in the town of Westerville, and he went to Westerville North High School. And after Westerville North High School, he went to Mount Vernon Nazarene College, which is now Mount Vernon Nazarene University. From there, he went to seminary, and from there, he moved to Michigan. And you begin to piece together the story of David so that eventually you get to the David who moved from the Midwest to, to California and pastors a church called New Life. Pismo, and you begin to narrow down the particular David that you are talking about. This is common. I know some of you are like, okay, we just spent the last two minutes talking about how to narrow someone down. But we do this all the time, right? You meet people in our community, especially a small community, and you begin to talk about somebody, and if you just mention their first name, they're like, ooh, I know someone by that name. You mention their last name, they're like, hey, I'm not quite sure about their last name. Where do they live? You begin to talk about where they live and what they do and all the characteristics about them in order to narrow them down. And we do this with people, but we don't narrow down the same way when we're talking about the word God. And specifically in a culture where it's so pluralistic, in a culture where God might mean many things to many people and your understanding of God may not be somebody else's understanding of God, we begin to have conversations about it. We, as followers of Jesus, as followers of Yahweh, we need to begin to put together which God we are talking about. In fact, if you go back to the very beginning of the Bible in the book of Genesis, we read these words, Genesis chapter one, starting at verse one, it says, in the beginning, God. In that, in that phrase, in the beginning, God, the word that is used there is Elohim. It's the word that is generic for this idea of deity or spiritual being or God. And so we read in Genesis chapter one that there is this one God and all of a sudden as we enter into that God's story, we begin to get an understanding of who that particular God is. Now why is that important? Because in the Bible, 
we have to recognize that the Bible culture and in the, in their understanding of or their understanding of God and gods when the Bible is being written is that there wasn't just one Elohim or one deity, that there was many Elohim or many deities or many spiritual beings. And so one of the claims that we sometimes talk about is that God is one, where we are monotheistic, which we are monotheistic. But one of the things that's interesting as you read the Bible is that we understand that it's not like there's God and then there's no other spiritual beings or gods. There's God and then he is above all other. He is unique. He is separate than all other Elohims, all other um, deities, all other spiritual beings, all other gods. In fact, as you go read on in the Bible, that word for Elohim many times gets translated in other parts of the Bible from being spiritual beings or deities to being translated demon. And so when you're reading through the scripture in the text, you're entering into a spiritual world where the conversation about which God becomes really, really important because everybody has a different version or view or understanding of which God you are talking about. However, I don't think things have changed quite that much. Because when you have a conversation in our pluralistic culture and context about who God is, people have various understandings about who God is and how we interact with God and which God you are referring to. So, as we're reading the Bible, and as we're diving in, even in those early, when we hear this word Elohim, um, in the beginning there was Elohim, there was God, all of a sudden the story begins to open up and we begin to understand what God is being referred to. This God is unique because this God spun everything into being. This God is unique because he created everything and this is a unique characteristic about this particular God. Not only did he create everything, but he created humanity for relationship with him and he created them as image bearers of him. He created a covenant with Abraham and a particular people as we've been learning over the last several weeks. And so this unique God who is above all other gods all of a sudden begins to reveal himself through story so that we can understand who he is. So again, a little bit of context. God makes covenant with Abraham and he promises, that, promises Abraham that he will be a father of many nations and God is going to be faithful. If you were here a couple weeks ago, God is going to be faithful to this covenant that he has made with Abraham even if Abraham is not faithful. He will continue to move this covenant forward. And so this dream or this vision of who Abraham's people are going to be. They're gonna be a people who have land. They're gonna be a people who um, are, are as multiple as the stars, right? All these things about what this covenant is going, to, uh, is going to mean. But the problem is, when we get to the book of Exodus, Abraham's family is not thriving. It doesn't feel like this covenant is moving forward. In fact, what we find is that Abraham's family is enslaved, 
And one of Abraham's uh, family members, Moses, is now shepherding sheep in a field and he comes to what's referred to as Mount. Some of your um, Bible translations will have the, the word Horeb. Um, this idea, this, um, that word Horeb is the Mount of God. Later on, it's called Sinai. Depending on what your translation is, they may have just called it Sinai in this particular text. But it's the same place. And so all of a sudden, Moses, who's tending his flocks and kind of minding his own business at some level, probably thinks that, you know what? Where is, you know, who is God and where is God? He doesn't seem to have a really good understanding of the covenant. He doesn't have really have a good understanding of who the God of his ancestors actually is. And all of a sudden, on the scene comes, uh, appears the angel of the Lord. Again, very specific here. The word Elohim, a deity, meaning a generic uh, uh, understanding of God, but it says the angel of the Lord, a very specific Elohim. How many people, look in your Bible right now, if you've got it open or if you're looking at your thing, how many people, when you look in your Bible, it should be all of your translations, but when you look in your Bible, instead of Lord being capital L, lowercase o-r-d, it's actually capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. So in Jewish tradition, and many of you maybe uh, know this already, that people wouldn't want to speak or even write the name Yahweh. And so that's replaced as a placeholder, the word Lord in all caps. And so when you see the word Lord in all caps, it's referring to God's personal name, Yahweh. It's distinct. It's a personal name. It's distinct from this name where we hear about this idea of Lord later on, which is master, but this is referring to the deity who is God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the angel of the Lord appears to Moses. Moses is kind of doing his thing and he's not really paying attention a whole lot. It's not like he's going you know, to temple and he's worshiping God. He's really just being a shepherd. But all of a sudden, this bush bursts into flames and begins, and from the bush, he hears a voice. Now, again, really weird, right? I mean, if that happened to you, you're walking down along the beach and, you know, I don't know, maybe it's not a bush, maybe it's that nasty stuff that, like, you know, gathers on our beach and stuff, like all the, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. And all of a sudden, that bursts into flames and a voice begins to speak to you, that would be really odd, now, it's not that Moses hasn't seen probably a bush catch on fire before. In fact, I don't know, maybe, you know, like in California, Moses was used to doing control burns to keep things from burning down or any number of things. He probably, as a child at the very least, probably, you know, got his fire out. And like many, you know, boys and girls do, they light things on fire to see how they burn. But what was unique and different about this bush is it was on fire and yet it wasn't being consumed, it was continuously burning on fire and it was unique and different. And the reason, one of the clues that we get that this whole experience is going to be unique and different is simply from inside 
of that bush, God's voice speaks and says, Moses, don't come any closer. Because Moses goes, hey, this bush is burning. It looks unique. It looks different. It's not really consuming itself. So he starts to move closer to it, which I would never do. I would run away. But Moses starts going towards this bush that isn't being consumed. And as he gets closer, God's voice speaks from within the bush and says, Moses, take off your shoes for you are on holy ground. Now, when we hear that word holy, many of us, again, depending on what tradition you grew up, depending on where you find yourself garnering your understanding of who God is, many of us have an understanding of God that he is just morally uptight. Right? Like when we hear that word holy, we're like, man, God must just be morally uptight or he's very legalistic or he's very strict or fill in the blank for your understanding about God. But that's not what holy means in God's context, in God's story. God is not saying, Moses, don't come any closer because I am morally uptight. God is saying, Moses, don't come any closer because I am unique, I am different, I am set apart. Take off your shoes so that you can enter in this uniqueness, this differentness, this set apartness. I have a thing about shoes. I don't like it when they touch my carpet. Anybody else? Do I have any other believers in here? Like, okay, all right. So I don't like it when it touched my carpet, but sometimes you just, you know, you kind of deal with it. You forget something upstairs. You have to run upstairs. I really don't like it when shoes touch my bed, though. Anybody like that? So it would drive me insane when my kids would come home and they would leave their shoes on and they would go and they would jump onto my bed and their shoes, who would have been in the school bathroom, in the cafeteria, outside, walking on all kinds of really gross disease infected. I loved being in Cambodia when I was there. Everybody took their shoes off. But why? Is it because I am morally uptight? No. It's because my bed has a specific purpose. My bed is designed for me to feel safe. Not like there's disease crawling all over it. <laughs> Don't get me into skin cells and stuff like that. I just... But you understand what I mean, right? Like we have things, like if somebody comes into your house and you're having a dinner party and they come over and you're getting ready to set food down on your table and they put their feet up on your table with their shoes on it, you're not being morally uptight by saying don't put your feet on the table. What you're recognizing is that the table has a purpose and the purpose of the table is to be clean so that you can place food on it so that food doesn't get impacted by the grossness on your shoes and then you can consume thus food, right? So when we read this text and we hear about God and what God is doing, God is basically saying, Moses, take off your shoes. I am unique. I am different. I am set apart. This moment is unique and different and set apart. And I want you to recognize this isn't just a common thing that happens in the wilderness. This is different. 
And this voice goes on to say, I am the Elohim, I am the God of your father Abraham, which would push Moses to go back to the oral tradition that he had been raised in to think about who is this God? Like, what has this God done? What's this covenant that I heard about? And again, we don't have any significant evidence that this covenant is being shared very well because again, God, this Elohim, Yahweh, has to even remind Moses of, of the story itself. But what does he say? He says, I've seen the misery of my people and I've come down to rescue him. I've come down to rescue them. And so we see in this story a God who is going to be faithful to his covenant. That he has not forgotten about his people. That he hasn't pushed them to the side. That he hasn't placed them on the back burner. And in fact, they didn't even do anything They were crying out in misery. They were crying out in suffering. They weren't necessarily crying out to Yahweh. And yet Yahweh sees them and sees their suffering and sees their pain and sees their misery and he comes down to rescue them, which should again tell us another characteristic. If you're writing these down, this characteristic's about God, that God cares deeply about image bearers. That he cares deeply about how people treat one another also because the reason they are suffering, the reason they are in misery is because the Egyptians are treating them as slaves. They are slave drivers, it says. And he reminds Moses of the covenant that he had made with Abraham, which is that he is going to take them into a land flowing with milk and honey. Pause right there. How many people probably think, hey, when I think of the Bible and when I think of the promised land and the land flowing of milk and honey, I'm thinking of like there's gonna be like a honey river. <laughs> and that maybe there's a, there's a milk waterfall, which would be really gross. Both those would be gross. Let's just be honest. That's not what the text is actually teaching. The text is teaching that this land, what makes honey? What would be something that would be in this context, maybe not a cow, but another animal that makes milk? All right. So rather than thinking of it being a land that is flowing with rivers of honey and waterfalls of milk, see it as a land that has bees and goats that are already sustaining the land so that when you move into it, you haven't done jack yet. You haven't worked the land. You haven't done anything for this land. But when you get there, it is already sustainable. Wouldn't that be great land to be a part of? that it's already sustainable, that it's already moving, that there's something or someone more specifically else that has cultivated this this land to be self-producing. By itself, it has resources. The other thing that you notice is that God is going to overpower or rescue these people um, from the most powerful person in in Moses' world at that time, Pharaoh. And the most powerful empire, the Egyptian empire of that particular time. And so God is making a declaration about himself. Pharaoh may think that he is a representation of a deity. And Pharaoh may think that he has all the power. But I am going to rescue my people from Pharaoh. Now, here's where we get to the people part. What do we want God to do when he makes this promise to Moses? Just do it. 
right? Like, when we hear God saying he's gonna rescue, when we hear God saying that he's going to um, care for the poor, when we hear God saying that he's gonna do the things that he's going to do, what do we want him to do? God, just do it. Unilaterally, supernaturally, figure this out. And so God, what we read in this text is God is driven to act, but the question is how will God act? And God will act not only in this story, but throughout the entirety of the Old Testament and into the New Testament, God will act in a particular way. He will not act unilaterally that often. There are times where God does the miraculous and God takes things into his own hands to move his story forward because it's the only possible way. That is him being faithful to his covenant. But more times than not, God does not act by himself. He invites his creation, his sinful, broken, messed up, jacked up creation to be a part of his redemptive solution. Or let me say it this way, efficiency is not high on God's priority list. Because he could be way more efficient by doing things himself. You felt that as, Right? Like when you have kids and you've got a job that needs to be done and you wanna be able to do it, you can do it way easier on your own. So why do we invite kids into responsibility? To teach them, to shape them, to cultivate them. So when God invites Moses and when he invites you and he invites me into being a part of his plan and his redemptive mission, he is shaping us and cultivating us and molding us further into who he has called us to be. So, sounds pretty good, a little bit, but how's Moses respond? Bad idea. He questions God. He says, who am I in verse 11? Who am I? And it should remind us that as awesome as the characters of the Bible are, they are also radically flawed and dysfunctional. And one of the challenges that we have when we read scripture is we tend to want to lean towards, and we do this sometimes, and, and I get why. We wanna teach kids the story of the Bible. So we teach them about these characters in the Bible. But in doing that, many of us grow up not with a greater understanding of God, but greater understanding of the characters of the Bible. So you might actually be able to tell me more about who Moses is and who David is and who Daniel is than you can actually tell me about Yahweh. And our thrust is to somehow be like these people in their faith and in the things that they do when in reality, you and I and the people of the Bible are always secondary and third, you know, second and third characters in the story. God doesn't all of a sudden, the characters of the story don't all of a sudden became, become the main actors. They are all support actors in what God is doing. God is always the main character of his story. And so as we're reading this, the stories do help us understand who God is and Moses and some of our own challenges. And so Moses is struggling. Is this God going to be reliable and trustworthy? Why does he struggle to, to think that God is gonna be trustworthy and, and, and reliable? Well, because he's, he's in an, an, a, he is in an area that he was never supposed to be in. And his people are enslaved. And he's trying to figure out, is this somebody I can trust? And this is how God responds, verse 12. He responds, I will be with you. 
In the original Hebrew text, it's framed this way. I am and will continue to be with you. I am and I will continue to be with you. This is incredibly key to understanding who God is. I am and will continue to be with you. Notice what he doesn't say. Moses, I'm gonna make you a rock star. (laughs) Moses, I'm gonna give you all the power in the world. Nope. He says, Moses, I will be with you and I will continue to be with you. So what do we need to understand about people in the Bible? Guess what? It doesn't really matter what you can do. Your characteristics, your giftedness, your strengths are not essential. Moses is doubting. Moses stutters and stammers. Moses is not a great leader. What is the important thing to understand about the people that we read about in the Bible is that God is with them and he will continue to be with them. Well, that wasn't good enough for Moses, so Moses brings up another question. Hey, when I go to them and I, and I, and I say to them, you know, who, what name should I tell them of, is the God who, who sent me? And so again, it's this reminder that, that there's this understanding that there's not just one God, but there is many gods. But this one God, Yahweh, is separating himself out and helping Moses and the people of Israel to realize that this God is above all other gods. This God is unique. This God is different. And in verse um, 13, we read this, I am who I am. It's like, whoa, whoa, that's deep, right? Like that's really hard for us to understand. He says, I am who I am. And the challenge for us is, is that, man, there's not really a good English translation for us understanding this particular phrase. But if, if I could get to the closest idea, it would simply this, be this. What are you like? That's the question that, that, uh, that um, Moses is asking. God, not just what is your name, what are you like? And God responds, I am who I am. Or in some, and, and maybe even an, another way to translate it would be, I will be what I will be. That is God's response. Again, very deep, very kind of philosophical sounding. I will be who I'm gonna be and I will be that forevermore. But when we skip over this, how many, have you, how many of you read this and been like, oh, God is I am who I am. That sounds nice. It sounds like a good thing. And we skip over this in the story when it's so vitally important to our understanding of who Yahweh is and who God is. Whatever characteristic God is, this is what it means. Whatever characteristic God is, he is that fully, completely, and holy. Not H-O-L-Y, but H-O-L-E, right? Like he is whole in that understanding. In fact, when you think about mercy, when you think about love, when you think about forgiveness, when you think about grace, when you think about, um, when you think about holiness, when you think about justice, when you think about mercy, literally imagine that there is a dictionary and on that front of that dictionary, it says Yahweh. And when you look up all of those characteristics, the only definition that you need is one word, Yahweh. What is love? Yahweh. What is justice? Yahweh. What is mercy? Yahweh. What is grace? Yahweh. 
So you're like, hold on a second, that doesn't tell me a whole lot. You're right, it doesn't unless you know the story. So the reason why we sometimes struggle with what those things are is because we don't know the story. And if you go back to the garden, it's the same struggle that they had in the garden. They wanted to determine what good and evil is. They wanted to determine what love is. They wanted to determine what justice is. They wanted to determine what truth is. They wanted to determine what grace is. And we do the same exact thing in our culture. And as Yahweh is talking to Moses and he's saying, when you go to the people and when you think of me and when you believe in me, here's what I want you to do. I want you to trust that I am who I am and I will be who I am going to be. And this should be comforting because God is that all the time and we're only that sometimes. Like when you say the name Pastor David, you have a particular image that may come to your mind. When my wife hears the word Pastor David, she can have a whole different image that comes to her mind. Why? Because you know Pastor David on the platform or in Bible study or some maybe over dinner. She knows that the person that I am here, as much as I try to be consistent both on the platform and off the platform, that I'm not that person all the time. I let people down. I am not always consistent and forever more. But God is. He is consistent and forevermore. And a primary characteristic of characteristic or a character trait of Yahweh is this idea that he will be with you. He's not detached. He's not absent. When you're having conversations with people about who God is and who we are as God's people, many people say, well, I kind of believe in a force or an idea of God. You know, maybe God kind of wound up things like a clock and set it there and let things go, or there's this being or there's this source or there's something. Nope, that's actually not what we believe. We believe that there is a God who is intimately involved in our lives and that he will be with us. And we believe in a God that invites us into his restoration, into the redemptiveness of of what he's doing in this world. And we enter into that by being obedient. This is a radical disconnect from other faiths. In fact, there are many other faiths that this blows their mind, they can't understand it. And the reason they can't understand is that they can't imagine a unique and different holy God coming near to something, some people that are flawed, are messy, are corrupted. Here's something that God is never fearful of. God is never fearful that he is going to come near you and you're gonna somehow mess him up. He's never afraid of that. And the reason we know that God is never afraid of that is because we see the full revelation of who God is in Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He comes near to people because he's not afraid that somehow they're going to corrupt him, but he knows that his holiness is going to heal them. His uniqueness, his divineness, his greatness, his restoration is going to heal them. You're like, how do you know that Jesus is the full revelation of who God is? Well, he reminds us in John chapter 17, verse six, he says, he's praying to the, the son is praying to the father. And he says this, I have revealed you. I have come to reveal you to the ones you have given me. I love Eugene Peterson's translation of this in the message. It says this, I have spelled out your character in detail to them. 
Think about that. Jesus came to spell out God's character, Yahweh's character in detail to them. So we have an understanding of Yahweh as we read throughout the Old Testament, but we have the full revelation of Yahweh through the person of Jesus Christ, the second person in the Trinity. And through the story of Jesus, we learn what kind of God our God is. God is kind and he's compassionate. He's slow to anger and abounding in love. He rescues people. He redeems people. He heals people, and that this God, Yahweh, unlike all the other gods you could give your life to, this God, Yahweh, has come and laid down his life for you and has redeemed you from your sin and has been raised to new life so that you don't have, so that you don't have to experience uh, the, the end of death and destruction. Amen. This is this God, this is the particular God that we are talking about. And so as we read the Old Testament, and as we read this story, we learn about a people group, and specifically Moses, who leans in this, who says, I will follow that God. Not just any God. That God. That specific God. And there isn't gonna be this idea where, hey, I'm gonna take a little bit from that religion and that religion and that religion and that God and that God and that God and that idea and that ideology and that philosophy. That's how people operate in our world. He says, no. I invite you to connect and live into the one true God who is above all other gods. And when you do this, you will be led to life and life to the fullest. And if you don't, you will experience destruction and heartache and death. It is a radically exclusive claim that this God, Yahweh, is making. And in a culture that wants to say, hey, you know what? I'm not too sure. There's many gods. There's many pathways to, to, to um, you know, eternity. Or there's many pathways to life. There's many things that you can do. Yahweh comes along and says, no, there is only one God. And there is only one way. And the people of Israel committed, not perfectly, but they committed to this idea that they were going to follow Yahweh. If you, if you flip over to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter six, it says this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. What the, again, what does that tell us? That there were plenty of other options out there. Did you know that there are plenty of other options in our culture for you to follow? God has not taken away all the other options. He has not wiped all the other options off the bed. There are, there are spiritual beings that are vying for your attention. There are philosophies. There are ideologies that are vying, vying for your attention. There are plenty of other options for you to have, just like there was within the time that, that the Israelites were receiving this word. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. So God, you alone are God. Above, six, the, above the God of success, God, you alone. Above all the other religions, God, you alone. Above all the other gods that are represented and people kind of say that have helped them out, you alone are God. And you, now speaking to the Israelites and to us, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. 
you. So, to be the people of God is to say that there is one God and not just a generic deity and not just the universe and not some ambiguous being in the sky. But there is one God and his name is Yahweh. And he is worthy of my surrender and my worship and my life. And therefore I will love him with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. I want you just to quiet your hearts for just a moment. And I want you to allow the Holy Spirit maybe to take inventory of your life. When you think about what you are giving your time, your heart, mind, soul, and strength to, are there other gods that are getting your affection? Are there other gods and ideologies that are shaping your thoughts and your mind? Are there other gods that you're giving your energy towards, your strength towards? If there are, then Yahweh, the one God, who's above all other gods, invites you to repent. He invites you to see the full revelation of who he is in the person of Jesus. He invites you to place your faith in Jesus who followed, who followed perfectly and uniquely. He invites you to invite the Holy Spirit to fill you so that you might be strengthened and encouraged and assured of your following of God. And he makes this radically exclusive claim. It's really hard for us to wrestle with sometimes. He says, you don't have to do this. If you do this, If you connect with me, I will lead you to life and life to its fullest. That's his offer. A life that you could never quantify or imagine. But he doesn't force you. Because he also says, if you don't do this, that's your prerogative. But he's also very honest and says, that life, when you connect to other gods, when you make other gods when you, if you even go <clears throat> to, the, um, to the Ten Commandments, very first commandment, have no other gods before me. If you have other gods before me, those other gods will lead to death and destruction. It is not guilt, it is not shame, it's an invitation to experience life. And so God, I pray that we would have ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts to receive this truth today. In Jesus' name, amen.
Would you stand with me this morning? After every service, we have a prayer team that will be up at the front, and I just invite you to, add, to just sense the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit seems to say, hey, in this particular moment, I've spoken to you, but I'm kind of done, then go and eat and, and Sabbath with one another and celebrate and laugh and grab coffee on the patio and fellowship with one another. That's what we want you to do. But if you sense that the Holy Spirit's not done yet, we invite you to come forward and talk to somebody about what it looks like to follow after Jesus and what it looks like um, maybe you have something going on in your life and you would love prayer for it. We invite you to come forward. Our prayer team would love to minister to you in that way. As you go, may we be a people who loves the Lord your God and him alone with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen and amen. Grace and peace to you. We'll see you next week.
distance or darkness, you're with me, you're with me. Whenever I'm failing or falling, you've got me, you've got me.
be magnified. Sing it Sing it. 